another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Quiet! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, and this is episode 40 of the podcast for August 2017. Well, I can't believe that we are up to the 40th episode of the podcast, and even more so that it's been three years since the launch of the podcast. I just want to thank everyone who has listened to all the shows thus far. So, or if you're a new listener of the show, uh, thank you so much for joining with us. This month, I have two special guests for this episode. We have Sam Koji Hale, the director of the upcoming puppet feature film Yamasong, March of the Hollows, and BJ Gaia, the lead puppeteer on the film. I had a great time chatting to them when we recorded the chat a while ago. And also, um, I mean, we are releasing this episode a little bit earlier than usual. And we're doing it because we want to spread the word about the, the world premiere of Yamasong. Uh, which is going to be on the 10th of September 2017 um, as part of the Bristol Festival of Puppetry. Um, and that'll be on, on the 10th of September at 6pm at the Watershed. So if you're in the area of Bristol in the UK, um, I, I recommend you should go out ch- ch- check out the screening, of, the, the world premiere screening of Yamasong, The March of the Hollows which will also have an exclusive Q&A with the director and producer of the film on the night of the screening. So, of course, I'll post the link in the show notes. So, let's go to the Podling Village to chat to Sam and BJ about Yamasong, March of the Hollows. All right, this month I'm in, going to be interviewing some of the many people who uh, worked on the, this uh puppet feature film that's going to be uh, coming out uh, sometime soon called Yamasong March of the Hollows and today uh, we have the opportunity to chat with the the director of the film Sam Koji Hale hello and of course um, and as well as uh, BJ Gaia who was uh, the the lead puppeteer uh, for Yamasong March of the Hollows so I just want to say thank to you both uh, thanks for joining on the show thank hello. you for having me Cool, excellent. So, I mean, of course, we'll definitely chat about this feature film that you've both been working on for a number of years. I guess I want to sort of chat about, of course, The Dark Crystal, since, I mean, seeing the trailer for Yamasong does have a bit of a Dark Crystal feel to it. So I thought I'd just want to chat about The Dark Crystal for for a bit. And I wanted to know, uh, I guess I'll start with you, Sam. How did you discover The Dark Crystal? You know, it was it was such a long time ago. I, I don't remember if it was the... You know, I saw this awesome movie poster, and uh, I just really wanted to see this this cool film that looked like something like uh, like the Star Wars Cantina or something, but the whole world of the Star Wars Cantina, mm-hmm. or um, or if it was seeing a behind the scenes show about it. I know uh, BJ and I are <laughs> talking about it. I know BJ, you said you saw a behind the scenes show, and and you're amazed at at all the stuff they did with puppets. It might have been something like that. Yeah, well, um, that film came out, let's see, what, 82? 82? Yeah, oh, yeah it's a Dark Crystal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
had to think of the right year. Um, so uh, my, I got hooked on it mainly because I was a fan of the Muppets, and I, I you know, the the visuals and everything looked amazing. And of course, it was a puppet show that Jim Henson was involved with, so that was my interest. But I really got caught up in it. It was um, it was the documentary um, that I'd saw on cable, and I can't remember. It was like back in the early days of cable, but it. I happened to catch it, and I was fascinated by just the the technology of puppetry uh, in it. What the the way they made the Landstriders move and the Gartham, and and for me, it was such a pull away from the traditional Muppet Show, which I adored at the time. Hmm. And it it was just it combined every element of everything I liked the the fantasy, the science fiction, along with the puppetry, and. Um, it was really amazing to see what it took to bring the characters to life. I mean, that just the involvement. It wasn't one person with a puppet on. I mean, some there were teams of five, six, or more people on each puppet for some of those scenes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was young at the time, so that was just totally fascinating. And highly impressionable. Young and highly yeah. impressionable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can just imagine, you know, for people that are seeing The Dark Crystal and and a lot of people are just expecting it to just be like another Muppet film, but um, it's 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 definitely no Muppet film. Uh, yeah, it's very you know unique and sort of stands up um on its own in that way. Yeah, and it's you know it really, it really set the bar pretty high in terms of you know what puppetry could be. But that's something that Jim Henson was building his career towards. So he had a team of people that he'd been working with for ten or fifteen years or longer. Mm. I mean, it was it really was a pinnacle of what. I think, you know, a high-level company and a group of people functioning together could achieve, and it's still kind of where the bar is, you know, as far as puppet feature films, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, like, since then, you know, there's been, you know, so many um, uh, puppet films, you know, over over the years, and, um, of course, probably um, the big one that probably stands out is, is Team America, um, which, I mean, this, that, that was very inspired sort of by um, the Thunderbirds, the, the Marionettes sort of style. So, I mean, of course, it's a very different compared to the Dark Crystal, but, I mean, it's still in its sort of um, uh, same nature, I guess, in that, you know, the puppetry form. Um, but, of course, um, uh, you guys, I mean, you, you've been working on this uh, feature film, the Yamasong March of the Hollows, and I guess, like, um, what, what's it been like to doing um, a film, you know, in, in that puppetry uh, form for you guys? Well, you know, it, it's, it's been an, an amazing experience. It's something, in some ways, you could say, you know, we've been working toward this for a while, too. You know, I've been, I've been working in puppetry for, for 15 years, and BJ's been working even longer in puppetry. To be able to create a full, you know, a whole world in this, this epic story uh, using these tabletop puppets, you know, they're puppets like 18, 20 inches tall, creating a world that, you know, and in a way it's, it's a, it's a definitely a tip of the hat to dark crystal, but it's also kind of working with like the, the puppets we have in the style and the technology we have today to try to create something, you know, that hopefully is an impressionable thing like dark crystal was. Yeah. I was going to say a lot, like the standout thing with dark crystal was the art of the film. Um, the character design, the set design, just how elaborate and detailed everything was. When you look at other films that feature puppets, they tend to step back and they, they go more for the simple, the Muppety style, which has a simplicity and a charm to it, but it's not necessarily um, hooked in the artistic world. And Yamasong, for me, I was so happy to be a part of it 
because every one of those puppets is a work of art. They're beautiful. The detail, the level of detail, the sets, and then the combination of CG and puppetry and everything meshed together really well. And the world that Yamasong takes place in is as elaborate and artistic and leaves such an impression very similar to Dark Crystal. And it, it'll be nice to see a film like that again. Um, and you mentioned Team America, too. You know, I was fortunate enough to have worked on that as well. Oh, well, yeah, that that's great. Was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was going to mention EJ worked that, on that, yeah. Yeah, I was able to puppeteer on that. I puppeteered on that. And with that, the scope and the, 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 the um, fascinating thing with Team America was just the scale. I mean, the, those sets were amazing. The, the, the Paris set was huge it was absolutely enormous and there were there were puppeteers under the under the floor there were puppeteers hanging from the rafters and cherry pickers there were puppeteers everywhere meshed into that set and um and the enormity of that was amazing especially when the puppets were 18 to 20 inches tall so yeah and uh, uh, yeah. yeah and i actually remember with team america i think it was a behind the scenes thing where i think the first thing that they shot was the very first like scene of the film how it starts off with um uh uh, someone you know doing a puppet show um you know within the puppet show and then it sort of panned out and you saw just the the big scope of of um of paris uh which you know it was just it was just amazing <laughs> and, yeah it was that, a great, um, great play scale right the the little puppet show and then you pull back yep. and it's the big puppet show yeah <laughs> that that, ini- that that initial pan right when you see the film start and there's a guy standing with a cup of coffee and a black leather jacket on. It's one of the first things. That was the character I was puppeteering. And I was actually under the ground. Yeah. With him. He was a rod puppet. And then it pans over to the little puppet stage. And it was, uh, it was amazing. Um, the combination of puppetry skills and talent on that film were amazing. Between rod puppeteers, hand puppeteers, marionette performers. And it took all of those skills um, to bring that to life. And that opening scene was a perfect example of that. There. I mean, the marionette performer in the puppet show is performing a marionette. So you had an actual marionette puppeteer puppeteering a puppet, puppeteering a puppet. Mm. And it was all real. It was all, yeah. you know, practical. So, yeah. yeah it's stunning. I'd, I'd have to say, you know, um, that was, you know, the puppets were built mostly over at Kyoto Brothers Productions. And, and I wasn't involved with Team America, but I worked with them for a while. And I'd, I'd say that that. You know, Team America is the 18 to 20 inch size puppet scale, which is what Yamasong is more or less. We're not doing marionettes, but more Japanese Bunraku inspired puppets, tabletop puppets. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, you know, working there for years, I, I was around that kind of scale. And and um, and BJ and I have talked about this a little bit. In addition to, um, they, I know they were working on on a on a pilot at one point where it was tabletop puppets and is about these little aliens who came to Earth and were exploring Earth. Mm-hmm. And running around and doing flips and jumps, and I remember being there, you know, on set and helping out with, with that kind of thing. So I, I think that probably, you know, did permeate into some of my, you know, creative ideas of, you know, if if I get to make a puppet film, I'd like to do something to the scale. Yeah. But uh, something Beach I talked about also was uh, the the Taiwanese puppeteers, the puppet company in Taiwan, Peely Puppets. Their stuff was amazing, is amazing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with what they've done. Um, Legend of the Sacred Stone. That was, I think, a film in 2000, 2001, something like that. And it was puppets. And it was uh, as martial arts fighting puppets. And it, it, it's rod puppets. And uh, that that was something stunning to see. And, and when I saw that, I'm like, that's cool. I'd love to do something like that, too. 
Yeah, it's just uh, yeah. I'm just uh, I'm just having a look at it right now, and um, yeah, it does look um, yeah, pretty um, yeah, impressive with it with the puppetry, and yeah, it's something I'd be very curious to definitely uh, check out. So I guess like with, with the Dark Crystal, Sam, uh, I just wanted to know like, well, what is sort of your favorite character or or even your favorite moment from the film? Uh, yes, you know i I loved uh, I loved Agra. She is such a weird, wise, ancient, strange creature. Um, you know her design. You know with the kind of the ugly face and the ram horns and the the crazy hair. Uh, even the set, you know, set breasts. I remember as a kid going, "Wow, that you know her whole body moves when she moves. All the parts move." Um, you know, and using her, taking her eyeball out and looking around with it. It's, she's just such an odd, strange creature. Um, so I loved Agra in that sense, and uh, and the the Chamberlain. You know, I really thought he was he was such a uh, despicable, but but yet partly kind of sympathetic character. Like especially when they when the other Skeksis attack him and rip off all of his clothes. That was such a visceral moment. Yeah, and you know. I've, real sympathy for that character when that happened um you know those those were the kinds of characters that jumped out to me and the gartham i just love the design the gartham the dark armor the glowing eyes when they come to life and all the the little legs start moving and the claws start moving and all that that was uh that was and they were frightening too you know when they bust through the walls and grab the pod people i remember it was (laughs) yeah yeah Oh yeah, they, they were, yeah, they were very uh, terrifying, you know, as as, as kids, you know, uh, seeing yeah. at a young age, and yeah, just being fright- scared of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Landstriders too were cool. That when they're riding on the Landstriders, that was such a a magical kind of majestic moment in the film. You know, I, I, I yeah. love that too. Yeah. And what about yourself, uh, BJ? Um, what, what would be your favorite character or moment or scene from the Dark Crystal? You know, I have to say, I. I think my favorite characters have always been the mystics. I just love that wizened old sage like character. And, uh, they were just so interesting. Just the, the design, like the, the skin tattooing, you know, the facial impressions and all that and how individual they all were, even though they were all very similar I, I don't know. I really love those characters and I'm going to agree with Sam too on the Gartham and the Landstriders. Um, and more so now with an appreciation of being a puppeteer and understanding what it took to bring those to life because there's so much movement and there is a majesty to them and the skill in the design and the skill of the performance is pretty amazing um, and they, they, they just it was so successful when when you're 12 years old and watching it you see it one way when you're 45 years old you see it a different way you know and uh, there's an appreciation in both cases um, and to be honest with you, too, I love, I know a lot of people, not necessarily their favorites, but the podlings were very fun, too. Um, yeah. Just that community of, of simple little characters that live their lives. Um, and again, when I was younger, that was, it was horrifying to see them drained. You know, you didn't want to see that, that, that no, oh, but, yeah, you know, <laughs> that moment, I mean, yeah. it, that, but, but now again, as a builder and a puppeteer, you watch that and there's a great appreciation for what it took to bring those scenes to life, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I know my appreciation's changed, but, um, the characters in general, again, getting back to it, there, there's just such an art to the whole design. I mean, Brian Froud's designs were amazing and, um, and it was something that hadn't been seen before, you know, almost to the point of, you know, putting it in the same league with Giger's, you know, the alien, 
characters, you know, where mm. the world is so unique and so, so artful that you can't help but appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I remember wondering as a kid when the pod, the pod people were, the, the life was getting sucked out of them and wondering how did they suck the life out of that puppet? It <laughs> yeah. was, you know, I was, I was, I was stunned at the time and I, you know, I still wonder how they did some of those things. Uh, and it's, it's just, I, I'm still in awe at some of the practical effects solutions that they came up with, you know, and, and, and I love the, the practical effects of it. And, and I hope with the new, with the new show, you know, that, or the new series on Netflix that they get to use a lot of practical effects on that too, you know, cause it, it feels more real and magical, um, and, and awe inspiring, you know, and, and in a way that the digital, I think, I think we kind of assume that everything's digital now. Yes. Yeah. So it, it takes a little of the magic out of it, you know? So I hope we see a lot of that, that stuff uh, on, on pod people. I was going to mention, I was talking to Brian Froud once and, and he had, um, or I guess it was Toby. Toby, their son, told me that his dad, when he looks at the pod people now, he just sees a bunch of potatoes. <laughs> yeah. <You know>, that, <laughs> they just that describe them, yeah. Their faces are potatoes. Yep. <laughs> so uh, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, I was going to mention that, you know, Toby, uh, I hope you get to interview Toby somewhere down the line before the, the series comes out. But, yeah, I hope but so Toby too, yeah. Yeah. To, uh, yeah, you know, Toby is their son. He was also the baby in Labyrinth, but Toby is a sculptor. And he's working at, at the creature shop right now, and he gets to he gets to take his dad's drawings and then translate those into into fully dimensional sculptures of the characters. And um, I think it's a great opportunity for Toby, and he's he's basically getting to translate his dad's vision into the into the three dimensions, and then hand those off to puppet builders at the creature shop and. And uh, it's it's an amazing thing that's happening right now, and and uh, especially Toby, who I think gets to carry carry the torch for his his mom and his dad. You know, they're keep that tradition going, that Froudian tradition. Yeah, like the the Froudian, yeah, it just has a very um, unique, you know, art style, or just um, the way, yeah, you know, with Brian, how he, um, you know, brings them to life, you know, in in you know, with, with the artwork, with the drawings and whatnot. And then, yeah, I mean, it's fantastic, you know, we, with Toby Froud being able to translate translate that into like a third dimension, and then being able to, you know, pass it off, yeah, to to the workshop, and and therefore, so yeah, it's a, it's sort of a great um sort of I guess synergy I guess um in that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I I saw Toby do that for the first time when he did um he he did a short film for Heather's company too. It's called Lessons Learned. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I did get a chance to see that one, yeah. Yeah, it was a great, great short film, yeah. Yeah, and that was his first chance to really, on you know, in the medium of film, to show kind of what he's doing that, that's a continuation of that proud style. Hmm. And in that, it was a Kickstarter, and in the Kickstarter, one of the rewards was, you know, if, one of the levels of it was if, if they got enough money, then he would get his dad to design a character, and he designed this spider lady character, and then Toby and his team built it up in Portland, Oregon. And it was, it was this amazing thing. And it's great to see Toby working with his dad kind of for the first time professionally to create, a, you know, a puppet character. And so now knowing, you know, when, when I heard that Toby was working at the creature shop, I was like, that's a continuation of what he started in his short film a few years earlier, back in, back in 2013. So yeah. it's great to see that grow, you know. 
Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a very exciting time, you know, in this you know the world of you know puppetry films, and um, yeah, it's just going to be very exciting in, in the years to come. I agree. Yep. So I guess, like, I mean, w- with the um, uh, the origins of Yamasong, so so how did it all start? Because I know I think I read about that it all started as a short film uh, with Yamasong. Mm-hmm. That's right. It was a short film that Heather Henson um, executive produced uh, back in in 2009 is when she uh, when she greenlit it. And it was it was originally inspired by music by a, a local L.A. group called Own Ensemble. They work with a mix of Eastern and Western instruments, Japanese taiko, uh, throat singing, um, koto, you know, uh, Asian instruments. But also they bring in like, you know, drums like uh, Western drums electric guitar and stuff so they're a fusion band and um their band leader shoji kameda is a friend of mine and we were talking about collaborating at some point with puppets and music and so um i pitched to heather the idea of doing yamasong which was the the first track on their album that they had released that year in in 2009 and heather loved it so we started building a world around this first song yamasong which is on their album ume in the middle uh, which you can find on Own Ensemble's website, ON Ensemble. Yeah, so I, I listened to the music and it just inspired all these visuals, you know, just these wild, otherworldly, fantastic type of visuals. And that's that's what's really what the short film is really is is the visuals that came out of that and and this kind of straight uh, storyline, this uh, straight storyline of two characters from two worlds meet and travel up a mountain to get to this this uh, outer space thing that crashes on the mountain and then they go into the light and it transforms them. So it's a, it's an eight minute short film that, that Heather Henson produced for, for her company, Ibex puppetry. Yeah. No, which is, yeah, which is very good. And I, and I guess, um, I guess the spirit, the, the experiences of um, uh, working on that short film are sort of developed into, um, into of course, like a, a feature film. Um, so I guess like, what, what were some of the many challenges that you sort of had to face when, um, I mean, making, you know, a feature film of, of this scale, um, you know, with, with puppetry compared to a short film? Uh, well, there, there were a number of challenges, but I think the first one was in the writing, you know, saying, all right, this first film was, uh, some people have called it a music video. So let's, let's say it's a music video or music driven, um, short fantasy piece, um, how do you take that and turn that into a 90-plus minute epic fantasy film? And so um, as, I was, as I was working on the outline and, and developing the ideas for the feature, was asking the question, how do we take what we've learned with the short film and then magnify it by, by 100 or whatever and, and still be able to do it in, a, in an affordable way? So, so uh, it was you know taking two characters then adding a few more main characters, you know, making a, a story that was big enough that would challenge all the characters, you know, their world is in danger kind of thing. And then, um, and then, and, and then kind of fill it in with, you know, what are the races on this world and who do they encounter and how do these relationships, how do these encounters affect their relationships to each other? Um, I'd taken a writing workshop with Jerry Jewell, who was the, the Muppet head writer for years. And, and the main thing he said during that workshop is that character and story are the same thing. You know, story affects character, character affects story. He said with The Muppet Show, 
you just kind of threw something in the middle of the Muppets and the story developed just how the characters, you know, each of their unique characters reacted to the situation. So, um, so that's, that's how I started with the film was first by saying, how do we expand the scope to make a 90 minute film? Um, and then I started designing characters and, and, um, and working with a co-writer, E. Katarina Sadia, who's a, who's a novelist who came from Russia originally. She's been in the States for a while, but she's written a number of, of science fiction novels, um, urban fiction. And um, we, we compared ideas back and forth, you know, by email, kind of, you know, developing and, and uh, digesting these ideas and then saying, well, what about this? How about this? And, and so, uh, you know, she helped come up with our, our third character who wasn't in the feature film, who's kind of this, this ram goat girl who's, whose people ter- are converted into machines or cyborgs. And she's like the one who's, who's kind of left saying, I don't want to do this. I think this thing is wrong and I've got to find a way to stop it. So she becomes our, our, one of our key uh, core characters. And, and that came out of conversation with my co-writer and saying, you know, let's, let's bring this strong female fighter character into the story. Um, so it's, you know, it's a collaborative conversation. And then once we start getting to designing the puppets, talking about, uh, A, which puppets would be good for the story, but also be, because we're puppet people, which would be cool puppets to do, and, and designing these awesome, cool characters that, that live in this, this other, other, other worldly place. Uh, BJ, you got to handle most of the puppets, so I think you could jump in here on, on that. Sure. One of the, one of the greatest challenges with it was the scale. Um, you know, with uh, Dark Crystal, everything was full size. You know, the puppets were basically could exist in a real environment to real size environment. For us on Yamasong, everything was reduced to one fifth to one sixth scale, and each puppeteer required three, or each puppet required three puppeteers. So. When you started collaborating and building scenes with multiple characters in it, you start having a lot of issues with physical space. Your set may only be four foot wide by two feet deep, but you've got five characters and suddenly there's anywhere from, you know, from five to 15 puppeteers, you know, necessary. So we were not, uh, we were on a limited shoot budget, so we weren't able to hire 15 puppeteers. So we had to figure out ways to make that work. And, um, there were there were yeah. a lot of challenges, you know. How how do we get how do we keep these characters alive and get the most out of them with the, the limited puppeteers? The other thing too is we're shooting film and everything is high def now, so you see so much detail. And we had issues because they're rod puppets. There were points where if we moved a certain way, a rod would cut across a body, or a puppeteer's hand would block a light. You know, so logistically, there was a whole different thing going on there as well. So. Um, uh, luckily, we've we've all had experience mainly with Sam doing the first round of Yama song, and then I, I had been fortunate to work on a Disney Channel show a while back that used the same style and a few other projects. So we were aware of it, but it took a little bit initially to get used to it. Um, again, because these puppets were not Muppets, they were very detailed. They're, um, the, the skin texture yeah. and the paint jobs and everything. So when there was a cross, it was glaringly obvious, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so we, we did our best to learn to hide that and to manipulate the puppets, um, as a team. The, and, and, uh, so, yeah, yeah, definitely the team, the team thing. Yeah. It, just keep in mind, 
the, the space we were working on literally was like the size of a, of a folding table, you know, one of those one of those light folding tables that you kick the legs down and then you set up the table. And we have, you know, green screen cloth on the table. That's the size of the space we're working in. So we could fit maybe two or three puppets on the table. But most of the time we were shooting two puppets at a time. You know, we could we had a crew of six puppeteers generally. And so that's three. So two, three times two. So six puppeteers for two puppets. And then we do multiple passes for additional puppets who would appear in the background or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, yeah, like, you know, because you have a camera sort of still on a tripod or whatnot, that you're able to sort of, um, um, yeah, do more, these multiple passes, you know, with, with the different puppets um, and making sure, I guess, it's all in sync, you know, once, you, once it's all shot and um, going through the post-production process, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And BJ, BJ mentioned the, the arms crossing. That was probably one of the biggest tricks or challenges or hardest thing to clean up in post-production is if you have an elbow, a rod coming out of the elbow of your puppet and they reach, say, their right arm across to the left, that rod goes all the way across their body, and that was probably one of the hardest things to clean up. Yeah. So we got to the point where we're, we were doing stuff like mixing styles. So we were doing tabletop mostly, but we would string the hand of the puppet and use a string and marionette it across the puppet so we didn't need the rod all the time. So that saved us a little bit of cleanup time and, and headache. Um, and, uh, you know, some I think the, the biggest challenge was probably in doing these these big action fight scenes. There was a lot of choreography, a lot of, of um, yeah, a lot of planning and figuring out how each of these shots worked. We I storyboarded the heck out of these these fight scenes so that we could you know, then sit down with the puppeteers and say, this is what we're doing shooting today. How how do you think we can rig the puppets to get through this fight scene? Yes, yeah. And we, and we primarily tried to do the fight scenes entirely practical. So when a character's running and they're, they're, there's melee going on or combat, we actually did that. We had them fighting each other. When they were jumping through the air and doing somersaults and landing on the back of another creature we were figuring out physical ways to actually make that happen in camera just so you didn't need to go into digital animation at the end because there was already we were already piling up the work for post you know so yeah, yeah. uh yeah. so that you know it was a, it was a different mindset you know to go in there going okay what what can we do to create this amazing visual impact and not one kill ourselves and not kill post at the same time but make this look really cool so yeah and, and i'm pretty proud of of the fight scenes that we did. I think those are, those are some of the strongest scenes in the film. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, just from watching the, the, the trailer, like, yeah, I mean, you mentioned about, you know, the shot of, um, tortoise, um, warrior, you know, just doing that somersault and jumping, jumping on top of the, uh, the beetle, uh, like creature, um, I can imagine, mm -hmm. yeah, that, you know, did probably took a, a long time just to, just to get that right. Yeah. Yeah. But again, because it's film, we also have the benefit of, the same thing with Dark Crystal, you know, you have the benefit of cuts to help you. So, yeah. uh, you yes, know, when yeah. you when I watch Dark Crystal and you see certain things, um, I, I was watching like like when the Emperor dies, I was, yeah. was re-watching that. I'm like, how did they get that puppet to crumble in the bed? And then I realized it wasn't one puppet. As a kid, when I saw it, I'm like, I thought it was one puppet that died mm -hmm. and crumbled into dust. It was yeah. multiple cuts to get that effect, you know? Yes, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's always yeah a bit of magic, and you know, there's lots of ways to yeah. accomplish things. Yeah, yeah. 
and we also did uh, you know when we I you know with fights I like to use a lot of medium shots but we cut you know cut away to to close-ups or other fight stuff and then come back to the fight and you know various various ways in the editing to to make it flow quick fast dynamically uh, and still feel like it's it, it was all happening in the same moment so uh, editorial definitely helped too in that case yeah absolutely and I guess um you know speaking of editorial I mean uh, the thing about with with this film is you you got a very uh, impressive um vo- uh, cast of vo- uh, voice actors um uh, they, you know from film and TV but also voice actors as, as well um, from you know Nathan Fillion uh, Whoopi Goldberg uh, <laughs> Friday Pinto Peter Weller you know the, the list yeah really really goes on and yeah, I was just really amazed of, uh, of how big of a voice cast uh, uh, you've got uh, for for the uh, feature film Yamasong March of the Hollows yeah it was it was I was I was excited when we when we started building the voice cast I would I have to. I have to say that's that was all the work of my producers at Dark Dunes Productions. The Dark Dunes people really jumped in and started pulling their contacts to get to get the voices. So it started with Malcolm McDowell, who was already he had been in their previous film, Kids vs. Monsters, mm-hmm. and so they brought Malcolm in. He was the first one, and then Malcolm's agent also represents Bruce Davison, who. Um, you know, Bruce was in the X-Men film as, as uh, Senator Kelly, but he's also in, if, if you're a fan of Avatar, he was Prince Zuko or Zuko as an older man in Legend of Korra. Ah, yes, and yeah. Uh, so they, yeah, yeah, and he was great. So Malcolm and Bruce both kind of came in around the same time, and then um, we started building on that, and we got Heather Henson and Toby Froud to be co-executive producers on it. And then that, I think, then brought in I think that brought in Nathan Fillion, who was excited to be working on something that that had, uh, you know, Henson involved, and yeah, uh, and and so it kept snowballing, you know. And then once we got Nathan Fillion, then we got a, you know somebody else, you know, and then we got somebody else, you know, who wanted to work with, on a thing with Nathan Fillion, and then George Takei came in, and and so we it was it was a building process that lasted about two months of of talking and reaching out and sending scripts, and and then you know I get a call from. From our executive, from our producer Sultan, um, Sultan Darmaki, and Sultan would say, "Sam, guess what? We have a new voice for you." <laughs> and I said, "Okay, who is it?" He's like, "Oh, you'll never believe this. We have Whoopi Goldberg." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, you know. So it was, uh, it was that was part of that was part of the the fun of it. I mean, there's so much great stuff that happened with this film, but getting the call from Sultan every you know every couple of weeks was always you know, like a, a little present that week, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 Almost a bit like Christmas in a way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I, I guess, you know, um, at, at this uh, stage with our Yamasong March of the Hollows, um, I believe yeah, it was posted on, on the Dark Dunes website that as of now, the film is, uh, is all, it's all completed. Um, yes. It's all, yes, it's everything's, finished. Yeah. It's ready to, to package and send out to a distributor. So they're, they're, Dark Dunes is working hard now to find a distributor for the film. So hopefully hopefully sometime this year we'll have, have a release for it. Yeah, no, which is great. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to, uh, to seeing this film. And, um, yeah, I just, I just can't wait. And, um, yeah, I think, it'll, yeah, it's, it's great to see sort of, you know, puppets uh, coming, 
coming back in a big way. Um, I mean, I guess, of course, um, you guys, you probably heard about the um, the announcement of from um, the Jim Henson Company and, and Netflix. Uh, they're uh, planning to do um, a Dark Crystal uh, series, um, The Age of Resistance. Um, well, what, what were your thoughts about that that announcement that sort of um, happened? I, you know, I think it's the timing's great. You know, it's uh, not just for us with with Yamasong, but uh, just in general, I think there's been this this kind of, in the last five years or so. I'd say there's been this this slow build towards something big. Um, you know, working with Heather Henson making short films, we've been working with filmmakers around in North America primarily, but filmmakers to develop projects that were in the short format, you know, eight minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and working to build kind of this, this body of, of work that, that is filmmakers who are, who choose puppetry over other forms to tell their stories. And, uh, we've been getting our films into more and more film festivals. And so, and, 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 you know, talking to people over Jim Henson company and knowing that they've been, Jim Henson Company's also been building towards something big. You know, they've been doing, yeah. uh, you know, some child, animated children's shows and things like that. But I think with this new age of, of Netflix and online streaming and things that once Henson Company was talking to people like Netflix, they had this property, Dark Crystal, that they've been wanting to develop for years and, and able to present it and say, you know, what do you think about making something with this and the Netflix people jumped at it, I think. Yeah. I think there's really just a sense of nostalgia now. I think, um, these days that people are sort of, you know, that a lot of people that sort of run these studios or, you know, run these things, you know, they sort of grew up with the eighties with the films and whatnot. So I think it's sort of, um, so yeah, I mean, these days it's sort of, you know, bringing, you know, these properties and, you know, nostalgia from the, from the eighties back, um, which is, you know, very exciting. And, and I guess, you know, with, with the, um, dark crystal age of resistance, um, that I certainly hope that, um, it'll, you know, bring an increase of, you know, more of an interest, uh, back into puppetry and, and potentially more puppetry, uh, films, uh, down for many years to come. Yeah. We're all, we're all hoping for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the, I'd say it's the highest profile puppet you know, puppet project out there to, to be able to kind of, I think to energize the energize fans of puppetry and, and fans of, of fantasy too, you know, um, it's exciting to see, see that happening. And, and I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to seeing what, you know, what the series ends up looking like, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm just, uh, trying to think. So, um, and, and I guess I'm, how, how can people find out more about, um, Yamasong March of the Hollows? Uh, so you can um, you can you can friend us on Facebook. I think just do a search for Yamasong on Facebook, and you can friend us on the Facebook page. Yeah. Also, um, if you follow Dark Dunes on Twitter, they're um, they're they're talking about Yamasong a lot on Twitter too. So those are things that are the two two places to go online to find out more about Yamasong, and and hopefully we'll have some big announcements in the in the near future. I know they're. They're in the middle of some big discussions right now, so hopefully we have have some big announcements soon. Excellent. So yeah, I just want to say yeah, um, thank you so much, um, Sam and and BJ for being um, on the show to to chat about Dark Crystal and, and of course about Yamasong, um, which you know uh, as described on Dark Dune sort of continues in that epic puppet storytelling tradition of the Dark Crystal. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to, to see this film when it comes out. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank, thank you. you Phil.
for inviting us. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal So that's all the time I have for this month's Trial by Stone, The Dark Crystal podcast. Big thanks to Sam Koji Hale and BJ Gaia for being this month's guests. Also, don't forget to check out the world premiere screening on the 10th of September 2017 at the Bristol Festival of Puppetry. They'll be on 6pm at the Watershed. I'll leave those details in the show notes. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast or follow us on Twitter at darkcrystalpod. I hope you all enjoyed the show and come back next month for more Trial by Stone.